Welcome to The Quiet Life. I'm Michael James Wong, author, educator, meditator, and your host for the show. This is a podcast for powerful conversations that celebrate what it means to be human. Join me each week as I speak to inspiring and insightful guests about their life, what they've learned, and what they've left behind on their way to a more mindful way of living, and discover their personal experiences that have helped shape their lives for the better. Listen in and find your way to a quiet life. This week on The Quiet Life. So David, in your words, uh, what does love and empathy actually mean? How do you define it? Yeah, so I would say love and empathy are very similar. Empathy, I would define as I feel with you. I'm there, I'm sharing your pain. In this moment, I'm not thinking of anything other than just being with you. And so that's why I say empathy is quite close to love. There's a sense of unity in the moment before any thoughts enter your head. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quiet Life. Welcome back. I'm your host, Michael James Wong. And this week, I'm very honored and humbled to invite into the show, Dr. David Hamilton. Hey, David, how are you? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing really well. And, and, and we said this before we hit record. I mean, it, it's such for me an honor to have this chat with you because I am uh, I'm, I'm hugely appreciative of all the work that you do. You know, you're an author, a speaker, a doctor. You're a huge advocate for kindness and how that relates to our lives. So I wanted to, you know, welcome you in, but also say how much, uh, how, how much I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. Oh, well, great. That's very kind of you to say. So I'm really looking forward to it as well. It's really nice to finally meet you, even though I'm not, we're not physically meeting in person, but it is really nice to meet you, you know, here, even yeah. as we just have this chat. And I'm sure we'll, we'll have the opportunity at some point to, to have a physical meeting. Yeah, no, and, and that's really important as well. Obviously, as everyone knows, we're recording this during kind of home uh, COVID times. But, you know, as part of the wider community is the way we look at wellness and mindfulness and practices that are really a benefit. You know, it's really, for me, so meaningful to have, you know, strong human connections, even if we're not in the same place, to have these strong human connections where we can actually really chat and see where we get to, because I think there's a lot of wisdom in conversation. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to to see where this conversation goes then. Absolutely. So, and, and the way I like to start, and this is kind of what we do with all the episodes, you know, a, a big part of our Just Breathe community here in London, as we've started to grow and, and move out into wider conversations, when we have events, we have one rule that we tend to start with when we ask people to say hi, to introduce themselves in, in kind of that setting. And it's, you know, share who you are, not what you do. And so bringing that into this form, what I'd love to ask you, David, you know, who are you? Uh, not just what you do. Hey, I, I, I'm looking for answers in, in my life and in the process of, of, of doing that. I, 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 I use scientific inquiry uh, to try to unravel some of the mysteries of, of life. And maybe if I'm being really honest, a lot of my motivation for this is to try to solve problems, to try to, I, I guess, feel feel more connected. And, and then if I can learn anything meaningful 
then share that with other other people, I suppose. You know, I've never had a question like that before. So <laughs> Yeah, and, and the reason I ask it, because what I love is these types of, I guess, responses where it makes us a lot of times go, oh, you know, a lot of times we, we qualify our conversations with our labels of mm. this is my job or these are my books or this is what's on, you know, on the back of my T-shirt. You know, and it is quite nice to to really oftentimes have these deep reflections about who we are or actually what the qualities that are important for us. Mm. And so, I mean, for you, like, what's important for you right now in, in this very much kind of state of the world? A compassion, kindness, understanding, patience, the, I guess these kind of softer qualities. My, my intuition has always been that it's here and it's with these types of starting points, compassion, say, for example, and empathy, that I have always felt from that position is where we begin to solve our problems in life. And so I, I try to go there first. So I have met the changes in life over the last year. I've met them from that point, from empathy and compassion first, before I, before I try to do anything else, before I speak, before I write, before I do anything else, I, I try to go to empathy and compassion first. And I think the, the conditions of the world have made that more obvious to me that that's what I do, because it's what I have to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's really important. And I think the way that you represent that, whether it's compassion, empathy, kindness, you know, a lot of times we can see those perhaps as let's call them subtitles for the idea of love or connection or, you know, this, uh, this sense of uh, appreciation. And I think a lot of times when we look at these actions to ourselves or actions to the others, you know, if I come back to this first theme of idea of actually, if love is the word or idea that sits above that, what does that actually mean to you? I mean, it's quite a ubiquitous term, right? And you can probably define it many ways. But if I was to actually say, David, what does love mean to you? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I would say, good question. A, from, from that perspective, love can be a, a physical demonstration of, of empathy or compassion, for example. It can be, from another perspective, I, mean, I, I think love is described in a lot of different ways. Love can be just that feeling of, of unity, of, of connectedness, uh, to, to a degree that it's not even an analytical, like, I feel like I'm connected with you. The, the words in the sense of, of me and you become, you know, voided, really, and, and love from that position just sort of feels like it's a feeling that we are, we are one, and therefore everything that motivates all the actions and words from there, you know, motivate. It's like, I suppose I'm reminded right now of one of my favorite uh, poems by Rumi, The Field, outside of ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to think about ideas, words or something. Even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. I suppose then maybe what I'm saying is love feels like a field and everything is part of the same field. Mm. 
And I mean, it's beautiful, beautiful poem. And uh, I mean, what I love about what you're saying is that, I mean, especially as, as a man of science and a man of wisdom, you kind of bring all of that together because there are a lot of people who might consider it as a motive or purely a, an emotive quality as opposed to there is intellectualization of how love is received or given. I mean, a lot of times when we think of love, why is it that humans have a tendency to to withhold it or limit it? I would say some of it becomes fear of, of losing yourself. You know, if I go all there with the oneness, with, with loving someone or, or something, might I then dissolve into something and lose my sense of, of myself, lose me, because this is all I've known, this physical body that I can touch. And, and if I go too far in loving or caring, might I lose my sense of myself? You know, on a, on a physical level, just when you mentioned science there, I, I often, I, I would say I often walk in two worlds and I sit in the middle as a translator. I'm very comfortable with the, the most factual and hardest of science. And I'm also very comfortable with the, the deepest ideas of spirituality. And I feel like I, I walk a path in the middle where I, I move to whichever mm. side is relevant at the time. And I'm quite comfortable speaking that language. And I'm quite comfortable speaking that language. And I feel like I translate a lot of the time from one path to the other, but I sort of hover around the middle and float wherever I, I am. So from a science perspective, the roots of a lot of that come from a self-preservation. You know, fear, for example, is a, is a natural... A genetic, it's a natural, you know, neurological effect when you perceive something that could take your life away or could be of, of severe danger. So there's a biochemical basis, there's an immediate biological, neurological, physiological basis to it. But that's only on a physical level. I would go more deeply in the spiritual and say the fear itself arises from believing that I might lose myself that I might, if I dissolve into this unity, this sense of oneness, then I, I'm not here anymore. It's no longer a David, you know, and fear that you'll lose some aspects of what makes you you and, and what you do, the kind of physical circumstances of your life. I, I say that only because I've, I've explored that type of idea numerous times in meditation, eh, where I, I sometimes have the sense of dissolving a little bit more deeply than I maybe had before. Sometimes what comes up for me is what if I lose myself? I don't want to lose being David Hamilton. I like my life or I like certain aspects of my life. And if I dissolve too much into this, so I find myself sometimes just stopping and not going too deeply kind of thing. So I guess rather than being an academic answer, then it's more from my personal experience. And it might be wrong. It might just be a limited personal experience that I've had compared to maybe some that of someone else. Yeah, no, I think the perspective is really interesting. And I, I mean, dare I would say, I would argue it's not limited. It's just a human experience, right? There yeah. is this aspect of humanity, even with the most academic science or the most spiritual connection, the, the, the unity between all of it is the, the humanity. The fact that we do have human emotions, human fears, human inconsistencies, uncertainties. And I really love the way that you speak about it in the sense of, of how you are a translator between that. 
because ultimately is in your personality or in your qualities to be that which can be helpful or supportive for people to really understand how they connect to, to maybe deeper wisdoms or, or bigger ideas. Mm. I know a lot of your work obviously does uh, is in the realm of kindness. And, and a lot of times I, I often look at kindness as perspective and action or an approach. I mean, what's the line between love as an experience and kindness as let's say an action? Yeah, I, I would say love, I, I, you know, love for me feels more closer to empathy. And, and let me, let, there's a way I think of empathy moving into kindness. And, and you might substitute empathy then for love, okay. or that sense of connection. Because empathy, you might think of as I feel with you. So I share your pain. I'm with you in the moment. So there's a unity here. And I'm not really thinking of anything in my life. I'm not thinking of anything other than I am sharing your experience right now. If you're suffering right now, I am here holding your hand. And I'm not thinking any other thoughts other than I am here with you. So that is, that is, I guess, one of the purest ways of thinking of empathy. And you could say that ultimately maybe it is love. Maybe love is is closer to empathy than it is to kindness, for example. Mm. And, and out, out, so you could think of empathy as a seed then, and the seed grows into compassion. Because after so much, such a, a, any particular length of time, that feeling of I'm with you, I share your pain, starts to enter our conscious minds. And we start to think, I would like now for you to be free of your pain. I would like you to be free of that suffering. So, you know, you've moved away but away from the, the the unity to the you know i i would like you to be free of your suffering and that's how we might define compassion i feel for you so i empathy i feel empathy love i feel with you compassion i feel for you so that's like a stem and then out of that stem blooms the head of a flower and you might think of that then as an act of kindness something I physically do that's motivated from my desire for you to be well, for you to be better. So, so I suppose maybe love is that starting point, which you might, you know, correlate with empathy. And it, it, it's like a seed and it grows into that stem of compassion, which blooms into a physical act of kindness. So kindness comes out of the sense of love or empathy. I think that is a beautiful, beautiful way of putting it and and really really special to, to hear that from you a question that that i have and a lot of times when these types of wisdoms these types of experiences or this type of work i often find has has a self growth that comes with it i mean the fact that obviously a lot of you a lot of the qualities you keep are focus on empathy compassion kindness love and did that come from a, a certain origin? Was that part of a, you know, a childhood experiences or upbringing or potentially was it the antithesis of, of past experiences? Uh, it was the, the positives. My mom, when I was growing up, was, is, was and still is. Uh, my mom's only in her mid-70s, so still relatively young. Mm. And she... For me, my mum was and is the kindness, kindest person. And what I saw, we were, we had a lot of financial hardship growing up. There was my mum and my dad and three sisters. My dad worked in a building site as a labourer in my younger years. 
in and out of work because in Scotland the building trade slows down in the winter and a lot of workers like my dad mm. would get made redundant every year in the winter time so my mum had to take loans and everything and it was, it was a lot of financial hardship but within that my mum did everything for the family I mean absolutely everything and so what I witnessed I guess from my earliest age that this what my experience was here is someone who loves unconditionally and who will give and be kind and do anything for the sake of the family even if that means compromising her own health my mum never bought any clothes for years because all the money that was needed for clothes went on the family and my mum had this word she says I feel like a buckle it's a Scottish word meaning like just rag ragging rags of clothes and and you know and my mum's still like that today so 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 it's not really been the antithesis of an experience but something that I witnessed as feeling like always feeling like the right thing to do and then my experience from that came was as I was growing up as a teenager even as an adult that whenever I come from that space of kindness things feel better relationships work better people respond better and life just seems to be a bit brighter but when I move to a different space and speak or behave from a different place, it's not that love and kindness, then things don't always work out quite so well. And there's a, a disconnect and a discord, you know, through that, the landscape that unfolds in my life, there's disjointedness and, and jaggy bits, if you like. But when I'm coming from that space of kindness, it doesn't mean everything's beautiful and sunshine. But within the difficult moments, there's something coherent and real that feels connected, that like a strand that runs through every single experience. And mm. so that, that, I guess that's how it's been for me. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I'm very lucky to have similar stories of a childhood that had a lot of love, a lot of support, a lot of kindness. But, you know, there are people, of course, who don't have that upbringing and they weren't lucky to be in those environments. And so maybe there are, you know, as they've kind of grown through life, they have a resistance to that trust in kindness and empathy and compassion. I mean, what's your perspective on that for, for those type of people listening who kind of go, you know what, I don't, I, I, I didn't, wasn't raised that way. So, you know, I, I, it's easier for me just to kind of close off. Yeah. My, my first sense is empathy because, you know, everyone a lot of people in life has have had you know really really tough experiences in fact you know I've just finished writing a book mm. and one of the chapters of the book dealt with a trauma as a consequent you know advert what you call adverse childhood experiences it's when a up to a particular up to let's say your late teenage years a scientist or sociologist psychologist can count the number of different types of adverse experiences. It could be from the extreme, like abuse, like really terrible treatment. Uh, it can even be, you know, a parent being, you know, ad having addiction problems and you have to live an experience. So you, you add all these up and what you find is that uh, mental health is correlated as an adult and even the, the intensity of chronic pain and the number of different diseases, even immune dysfunction are all correlated with these adverse childhood experiences, none of which, none of which were the child's fault. So the first place I go is empathy. 
that that must have been hard. And I understand why, if someone has a different attitude, I understand why that might be how mm. it is for you. And that doesn't make you wrong. It makes you right. That's been your experience. And the, so the first place I try to go to is empathy. You know, yeah. I feel with you. You know, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. Yeah. But if, if I'm the person and if I'm the child, how do I find that within myself? I, I, I think to ask for help, to, to, look to, to look to good examples. You know, some of the stuff that comes out of this kind of research is sometimes there could be a positive influence in a life. It could be from a grandparent. You know, it could be from a teacher. You know, it could be even be from other role models that you see. You know, a, you know, role models that you see on TV. Even as we're recording this, I watched the inauguration of President Biden yesterday, and, and mm -hmm. I was, you know, moved by some of the speeches and the poetry yeah. of, of of Amanda Gorman. And and you know, and sometimes we can look to other role models in in life. I'm not saying it's easy because I. I've been fortunate enough not to have any of these adverse childhood experiences. So it might be easy for me to say these words and I don't know what it's like for, for someone, but what from the, if I put my science head on from what the, the research I've read is there's benefits to be had by if it is possible to ask for help sure. uh, from, or, or seek a, some other type of role model yeah. that, that, that can help to teach a different type of, of way of thinking. And if you understand that there are benefits to be had from kindness, for it, it's one of the reasons why I teach so much about the science of kindness and compassion and how it affects your brain, your mental health, but your heart, your immune system. It's to give people an extra reason for being kind, for, for trying to practice. You can start with a, a meditative practice, for example, like the, the Buddhists, the Tibetan Buddhists have metta, you know, you just mm. think kind thoughts about people. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be at ease kind of thing. And that could be a starting point. I'm willing to try that for one minute a day. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be ease. And see if that fits. See if that makes a little bit of difference. If it fits, if it feels nice, maybe I'll try it tomorrow for two minutes. Yeah. And go from there. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful way to, to start and to, to see that in a positive light. Take a moment to download the Just Breathe app with guided meditations, music, and soundtracks created and recorded especially to calm the mind and ease the body. We've literally put the power of mindfulness in the palm of your hands, and even more, it's free. We've created this app as a way to support our growing community, and it is for anyone and everyone ready to step into a quieter conversation. So go ahead and download the app now. It's on iPhone and Android devices, and for more information about our growing conversation on and offline, make sure you visit justbreatheproject.com where you'll find more podcasts, lots of amazing stories and video content, and conversations all around mindfulness in the real world. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at JustBreathe. If I was to turn the lens back on you for a moment, I mean, obviously, you know, within your life and your work, it's very easy to, to see David as very knowledgeable, has it all together, writes the books that gives all the wisdom, but underneath all that, you are human. So, I mean, has there, you know, are you, if, if you, are you able to share a moment for you where actually you lack that within yourself, maybe? Uh, what did you do? All the time. 
Actually, Michael, I'm glad you, you said that I'm only human because I am only human. And it, it, some I, I go through little phases where, you know, I, I would say from childhood, my mum struggled with anxiety a lot, with depression. I started with postnatal depression. And I think being in that environment as well, you know, I've always had trouble, even as an adult, anxiety spontaneously. I, I can recognise some of the triggers now and I can deal with it, but it still happens even as someone has written now 11 books uh, and I retreat a little when it happens because I lose perspective a little bit and it's harder to see mm. things as not the, the, the David Hamilton that everyone else sees on social media and doing these podcasts I don't see things quite as clearly then and so I retreat because I can't help it and I, I'll, I'll be down for a few days. People don't see me and people don't notice, but I'm not on social media for a little while or because something else. And I just retreat a, a little bit. And, and so I, 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 in my humanity, many times I have the, what people call imposter syndrome. I can't understand why someone would, you know, would read my, my book, not so much read my, or listen to my advice. I can't, it doesn't make any sense. You know, what I do, explaining stuff, for example, taking science and spirituality comes natural to me. So why would someone think what I do is, is really, because a lot of people say it's amazing how you just take that and turn it into that and explain that. And, it, and I get the imposter syndrome because that's just normal for me. And so it doesn't make any sense why someone would think that's special. What I see special are the people who are in the front line helping people and saving people's lives and making a difference. And so oftentimes... For me, I feel selfish. People say, you're the Mr. Dr. Kindness. You're writing about all this, but it's about kindness. And oftentimes I feel the exact opposite because yeah. I look at the people in the world who are actually in the moment making a difference, you know, you know, build it, building the, the charitable organizations, making and saving people's lives, NHS staff, all over, every people all over the world. And I look at myself sometimes and I think, my God, I, I feel like an imposter. I feel so selfish because I'm not out there doing that. I'm just writing about it and, and trying to think yeah. a, with a, a nice attitude. But I feel like the imposter a lot of the time. And and what I love about hearing that is that it really shows that there's an honesty in the reality of being human, right? And mm. when, when we start to experience these things within our lives, I mean, where do you sit on the line of, you know, you're experiencing this feeling of being selfish? Is it about extinguishing that feeling or is it about being okay with it? In my, in my better moments, it's being okay with it and understanding if I was to be giving myself therapy, if I was on the other side of the, the couch, if, if you will, then I'd be advising to, you know, take a broader perspective that it's, you know, everyone has their role to play in the world. You know, everyone has their role to play. And the role that you play is, is largely, I guess, sculpted by the context of your life, of where you are. So in my better moments, I say, well, this is my role at the moment. This is my job. This is what I feel I'm here to do. And if I was to try to do what everyone else does, the things that, I, that move me, that admire, I admire, that inspire me, then I wouldn't have the time to do what I do. 
and, and maybe my skill set adds more to the world by keeping doing what I do, you know. And, and so it's in my better moments, I recognize that it's just, this is my skill set. And so I help to make the world a better place if I maximize and use my skill set rather than try to be like the people who I so deeply admire in the world. And maybe it's better for me to feed them that positive energy by saying, even psychically, I deeply admire you. I love what mm. you do. Keep doing what you do. But I'll, I have to keep doing what I do because this is my skill set and this is where my life context is right now. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was that oftentimes the world asks to know who you are, but the power is in knowing who you're not or what you're not. Mm. So if I was to ask you that question, David, I mean, the world has a tendency to know who you are by the nature of your books and seeing the stuff that you share online, but what are you not? Who are you not? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a person who, uh, that's a really good question. I've never, I've never ever thought of that before. I would say that I'm not self-centered. Uh, in the sense that my, my motivation, maybe to a fault sometimes, I often forgets about myself. And so maybe, maybe I am a person who forgets to mm -hmm. look after myself. Maybe that's maybe what I, I, I would more accurately say. I, I'm not a person who always remembers to care for himself. My own, I, I'm not a person who remembers to care for his own mental health right. and you know, and, and needs and, and own needs. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a person who is as aware of my own needs as I could be, probably. Yeah. If, if I look at the roots of many of the challenges I have, it's been, uh, I'm not a person who takes enough time to consider how I feel. And most of the time end up trying to help and make everything okay for everyone else that I forget about myself. Could, could you potentially speak to a, a time when that happened, when maybe your selflessness was to your demise? Uh, well, it has been se several times, you know, because I, I end up, I, I get stuck sometimes because I'm not focusing on taking my own life forward. And so because you, know, you know, in, in the self-help community, I mean, I write books, some of which you might call self-help, but yet I have very few goals. I, I don't really I, I, I don't really take time to write down goals and decide where I'd like to go in, in life. So my, my life just sort of seems to evolve out of the context I find myself in and my actions and reactions to that context rather than me making a, setting a goal and deciding of some place I would like to get to, that can be sometimes to my own detriment, uh, I would say. Um, yeah, but, but I think with that as well, and that's an interesting uh, uh, observation because I, I am actually similar in that sense to you that I, I, I would arguably say I'm goalless, but mm. I, and it's not even that I've made peace with that, but it's more of a choice to say, 
I don't need to know where we're going because where we're at now, whatever this journey we're on is a happy accident of enjoyment or existence. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say the same. I, I would say probably you're a bit clearer on that than I am <laughs> because I probably, I, I feel a little bit of discord. I feel sometimes where you are and other times I feel like, but I think I should mm. have these directions and goals. And I have loosely, but not formally. I've decided I'm going to make, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to achieve blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so I think the discord I feel between thinking I should do that and, but I actually do this is probably at the root of, of some uh, little challenges that I occasionally face. And I think again, that goes back to this. It's because we're human because yeah. we are in this moment of being able to experience ups and downs of existence. Yeah. I mean, in that sense as well, could you maybe share, I mean, what's the greatest piece of advice you've been given or something that you take with you quite regularly? Hey, I've been given so much good advice in my life. You know, my papa, my mum's dad, when I was young, used to say like, this will pass you know, whatever the difficulty is, because I'd hear, hear him saying it to my mum, this will pass. I know that's a well-known phrase that people use, but I only ever heard it from my papa mm. when I was a kid, you know, this will pass. Uh, and I guess I've always kept that, but, you know, I, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's a number of quotes that, that have moved me, you know, teachers that have inspired, like Wayne Dyer was always sure. one of my, my favourite teachers. I, he, he impacted my life massively in a number of, of different ways as a, a writer and a teacher. It's a hard one. I, I couldn't pin it down to a certain yeah. thing, a certain piece. And probably once we finish this conversation, I'll probably have a hundred answers for you of the greatest pieces of advice. Sure. And I could write a blog on it. The, the greatest piece of my life is, but at the, in this moment, I don't think I, I, I could pin it down to a, and that's okay. I mean, what's great about it is that, you know, we're, we're lucky, you're lucky to be receptive to advice or wisdom or readings that are shared and how it then navigates within the streams of your life. Yeah, well, I could maybe give you a scenario like years yeah. ago. And I, I, so I, I formerly worked as a scientist in a, company, a pharmaceutical company, very okay. well known at the moment, AstraZeneca. Sure. So I, I was a chemist, I was a, a scientist with AstraZeneca after my PhD. And about about three to three out of the four years that I was there, I left after four years to embark on my current career as an educator, a writer and speaker. But I, I struggled with depression for a while. I used to, it, was, it got so bad actually that I, I, and it came from some discord between feeling in my heart that what I do now is what was my destiny and my other mindset saying, wait a minute, you've just, you've got a PhD, you're on a great salary, you're a rising star in the company, you're on those wee lists that they say, that we're going to give this guy opportunities and stuff like that. And you're doing an absolutely amazing career. So one part of me is saying you need to do that. And the other part feels this pull to do exactly what I'm doing now to educate about science, kindness, love and compassion. Uh, and, and so that for me manifested so deeply that I went through months of, you know, four or five months of what you might call clinical depression. I used to come home from work, lie on the floor and cry right. sometimes. And my mum phoned me up and she just knew something was wrong. And I was living, you know, in Cheshire 
uh, and my mum and dad lived in central Scotland. And my mum said, I just know there's something wrong and you're not telling me. And I broke down on the phone and told her I was feeling depressed. My mum knows what that's like. My mum says, right, you're coming home now. <laughs> and, and without just doing what I'm told, I got in the car and I drove 240 odd miles. Um, back, and I stayed with my mum and dad for a week. And during that week, my life changed because just having someone to talk to. So rather than any, what my mum didn't say, I don't think any one thing, but she was there as my mum and made me feel it was okay to have a cry. It made me feel like it was okay to to not know what to do and, and not even need to have the solutions, but just to know that my mum is there to, to look after me. And so rather than being a, a, any one thing she said, it was the experience of that week that put me on a, from a downward trajectory into an upward trajectory and my life gradually improved. It wasn't like I went back to work the next week and I was great, but over the next maybe, I don't know, four or five months, more good days replaced the bad days until I'd got to a point. Because a bit prior to that, I didn't know, I couldn't remember what it was like to feel good because most of the, the good moments were punctuated with feeling sad, depressed, and discords. I'd forgotten what it was like to feel happy. And I think somewhere along that point, I noticed after about five or six months that I was the person I used to be, but a better version of it. And that's shortly after there is when I made my decision to leave the pharmaceutical industry. When I, yeah. I get began to feel a bit more of the light that I'd lost touch with. And then it became so clear, a moment of illumination, I would say on the 28th of December, 1998, sitting in a little coffee shop in Glasgow while I was home for the Christmas holidays. With absolute clarity, I knew that I was going to leave my job sometime within the next year and embark on a different path. That's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing what that sparks in my mind, which is actually something I haven't considered lately uh, on the podcast, is that oftentimes when I ask that question about um, you know great pieces of advice or big uh, wisdoms that they've learned, nine out of 10 times, there is uh, a simple affirmation or articulation. And what that tends to be is an understanding of the intellect, no matter of the emotion, right? And we, I've, I've figured it out and it's this. But that, that story, which is so powerful to me, just ultimately comes back to this place that love doesn't need to be defined. It just mm. needs to exist unconditionally. Yeah. And that's, that, was, that was exactly my experience during that week. I, I, couldn't rem I don't think I could pinpoint a sentence that my mom spoke. It was just the experience of being unconditionally loved and supported during that time. And that that was the cure that that is what got me out of depression not an affirmation or a word or a book but a feeling of being loved and supported mm -hmm. unconditionally and i think that is so so important to take away from this and so important to be a part of our life because you know we we are humans of intellect you know we like to make sense of the world we like things to understand or to fit in a box or be able to write it down and stick it on on the fridge but I mean, for me, the greatest takeaway in this conversation with you is that sense of, the, you know, we, we can be unconditional, we can be undefined, but it does not mean its existence is less powerful than, you know, a, a tangible phrase of it. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, actually. I'd never really thought about it that yeah. way until you said that.
And, and, and that's the joy of these conversations I find is that the wisdom, the collective wisdom through conversation actually mm-hmm. elevates us all to, to widen our awareness, to expand what we understand or to, to lean into that, which we don't understand, which I find is such mm. a powerful way to continue to understand how we can support our lives, livelihoods, our mental health, our well-being. I mean, for you, as you know, as you said, as, as a, a clinical scientific side of your brain, as well as, you know, a spiritual and emotive side. I mean, if, if we were to, to, to take this all away and really carry forward a lot of, you know, the teachings and the writings that you share. I mean, is there, is there one thing further that you yourself, you know, hold as important, you know, like a quality that, that you value uh, above anything else? I, I, I would say the quality that's become more prominent in my life over the last short time is empathy just empathy first before you speak before you act before you you know before anything else empathy first and I probably wouldn't have said that a year ago because a year ago I probably having not long after completed my 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 fourth kindness book uh, I would have said just always be kind but I think over the last year that has evolved into empathy first and take it from there Mm. empathy first amazing david thank you so much for sharing some of your time and your thoughts with us i want to thank you hugely from my heart and from our whole communities for you know you you joining us on this episode of the podcast it's been my pleasure michael thanks so much you know it's been really lovely for me i i guess to have this type of conversation because, you know, as you say, I write a lot about the subjects. I speak a lot about the subjects that I write about, but but this has been nice to talk a wee bit about, you know, life, the universe, myself. You know, mm-hmm. you know so, sometimes it's nice to get insights about yourself when someone asks you a question about yourself. And I think maybe I don't get that very often, is yeah. people asking me questions about me that I've almost forgotten <laughs> what it's like, uh, if you like. Because I'm always on teacher yeah, mode. Yeah, of course. And, and I think that is the the essence of these conversations is to get to the heart of who you are, not just what you do. Because for the rest of us in the world, you know, it, it is easy to find your work. It is easy to, to, to listen to you in teacher mode. But oftentimes, you know, there are great learnings just by what is David like as a human? What's important for him? What has he gone through in his life? And sometimes those can be the most powerful learnings of all. Yeah. yeah. David, thank you so much for people who are listening that obviously want to stay connected or reach out or find out more about your work. Where's the best places for them to connect? Hey, I'm active on social media on my website. I write regular blogs on my website, drdavidhamilton.com. On social media, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter fairly regularly, and LinkedIn I use as well. So I uh, Great. So just, I'm always there. <laughs> Wonderful. And guys listening, we'll obviously put all of uh, David's details in the show notes as well as in the posts. So you can find out and, and connect straight on. You know, as always with these conversations, it is so important for us to keep building a conversation and community that is joined in the sense of humanity. David, thanks again so much for your time. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I'm your host, Michael James Wong, and we will see you next time on The Quiet Life. Fantastic.